We're back to being an all country. We're back to being a country. The British Dream Podcast. Join us. Powerful people. As we launch our despicable acts like these. And sickening and barbaric politics. What I hate about this is that it's so violent. When the next phase of this disaster comes, they will come for you. Good morning, Jodie Weatherspoon. How can I help you? Hi, how's it going? I beg your pardon? How's it going? I'm a big fan. It's nice to be chatting yes, on the phone. thank you. Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm not bad, yeah. I'm just, um, I've just got a spare, I've got a day off, so I'm just ringing around people trying to get, basically I've been having a lot of arguments with friends about this, uh, the idea of four new bank holidays, and I just wondered whether you thought that was a good idea. Um, well, yeah, to be honest, I do. Yeah? You're on board? Yes. And what, what do you think you would do given the extra time off? Welcome to the British Dream. My name is Simon Childs, Home Affairs Editor at Vice.com. We're going to be doing this every week between now and the election. I've got a crew here, Angus Harrison. Hi. Zing Singh. Hiya. And Johan Koshi. Hello. I like Corbyn Spot. <laughs> Try to calm down and behave like an... So we're back in Spoons, reflecting on week one of the campaign. I feel like by now we've kind of already heard everything we're going to hear, right? Or at least... We've heard all the key messages we'll no doubt keep hearing over and over and over and over and over. Johan, you're the brains behind this operation. What's been going on? Yeah, it was the last PMQs for the election. And because Theresa May said she isn't going to do any televised debates, it's the last time uh, we'll see them together, Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May. Uh, It's the last televised event, presumably, as as long as they still don't do this debate, they will see them. And it was uh, pretty much like all of the other ones. Um, Lots of like hooray. Exactly. There was more, there was a kind of really sickening end of term feeling from the Tories. That's like kind of braying like joy of like having a holiday and coming back and like seeing all their freight. It was, it was, um, it was really stomach turning. And uh, they are very good at doing that show of strength and unity. And when she came up, they all cheered endlessly and... They've all been told to drill home this message of a strong and stable government. Um, and so it wasn't just Theresa May saying it, it was all the MPs asking questions as well, to the point where they were actually laughing, sort of ironically laughing at the fact that they were repeating their message too much. Um, like strong and stable, strong and stable, strong and stable. Yeah, someone actually said it three times in one question. I think, <laughs> I think he'd been dared to like say it as many times as he could. Um, and so I think that that, that, that kind of typified the, the kind of mood on their side. And when Corbyn got up, um, you might have expected the Labour MPs to at least feign enthusiasm, given the circumstances. And we all know that the PLP doesn't like him, but the last and foreign election they could have cheered, but he came up pretty much to silence, and that silence was then filled by the Tories with the jeering and the booing and uh, the sneering. Um, and so, in that sense, the dynamic was typical. And yeah, it, Corbyn's performance was, was well received, even by like lobby journalists who tend to be quite sceptical of him. Um, but uh, ultimately, um, no one watches PMQs, no. uh, and so it's not really going to have any. It's not going to have any way the same sort of effect a TV debate would have had. In terms of that, like strong and stable leadership message, um, I mean, it's been commented a lot already that we've heard it probably about seven thousand times this campaign already from Theresa May and whoever else. What do you think that says about what the Tories are going to try and like do this election time? 
Well, I guess it shows that the authoritarian streak, which May's always shown throughout her career, is, is the main thing she's trying to capitalise on. It's also a good way of talking about Brexit without really talking about Brexit, because the Tories and the government have been very good at depoliticising Brexit, making it seem like an administrative exercise that just needs to get done, rather than like a very political one. And so by talking about strong and stable, she's basically saying, I have a technical event, I need to, I need to do this. Um, I have the competence to do it. Um, so she's drained it of all politics. And um, I think that's, that's, that's a smart move for, for as far as they're concerned. It feels like with the strong and stable leadership message, this is the most behind the curtain, blatant kind of Linton Crosby operation we've ever seen. It feels like we were self-aware. We were all like waiting and looking out for what was going to be the big repeated phrase of this election. And it feels like now that we've seen it, it's so blatant from the offset. But I think it's actually a really smart move on the part of the Tories because, you know, even within the Labour Party, there's this like uneasy sense that maybe Corbyn isn't the most competent leader in the world. And that's exactly what they're playing on. It's like a play for not just Tory voters, but also for Labour voters. Voters, maybe UKIPers who are a bit like, oh, I don't think we can trust our own parties to deliver this whole big Brexit thing, and that's quite scary. So why don't we just go with Theresa, who seems like a boring but so apparently stable choice? And I think then it turns the election into a matter of not voting on principles or values, but who is the most boringly efficient and capable person in Parliament? I think it's a really interesting situation we've ended up in where we have got, yeah, as you say, the most ideologically diverse election we've had ever like it we are this is left versus right in many respects and you can listen to the actual if you listen to people talking about the the policies on either side they couldn't be more extreme in terms of you know investment in public services their attitudes towards tax the you know all these kind of very obvious things however despite that despite that really obvious pendulum swing between the two there's just this complete override of this leadership question yeah and but then i guess this is the sort of cruel irony behind that is that there isn't actually really a, much of a choice at this election because it seems like such a foregone conclusion and um, you've got this sort of illusory idea that oh maybe Corbyn might win and he won't and it's all just it's going to be May all the way right? <laughs> May all the way is that could be that that would be a better slogan if they May want to be less technocratic I would really like them to try and squeeze May all the way in as much as strong stable leadership <laughs> That was what they were all standing in Parliament trying to say over and over again. <laughs> yeah, mail the way, mail the way. I'm questioning really how diverse, how great the chasm between them really is. Obviously, in their representation and the way they've been portrayed, there's this great difference. Corbyn isn't really ra- running on a radical left programme so much as a slightly intensified kind of Milibandism. It will speak about the NHS, but he hasn't explicitly you know, s- spoken about getting all the private sort of influences out of it. We now, we might talk about later, they've seen, like, they've given up freedom of movement, um, which is quite a big capitulation Mm. uh, to um, the right of the Labour Party. We have these policies which might not be as radical as some Corbynistas wanted it to be, uh, but the messaging and the rhetoric uh, is good insofar as he seems to be aping this left populist style of 99%, 1%, or the people on and the elites. The, the language he seems to be using so far, which you brought up in PMQs, was the many and the few. So that seems to be something we're going to hear a lot probably over the next five weeks in Labour, the many and the few, which obviously corresponds to distribution of wealth and income and can latch on to real material facts in this country. Um, whether it will have that kind of 
deeper purchase, whether it's really out there. You can imagine that kind of rhetoric being really effective in the years immediately after the 2008 crash and the recession, when bankers were vilified to a much more greater degree than they are now. What about the Lib, Lib Dems? What are they saying? I feel like a lot of their messages have been drowned out by discussions about whether it's all right to be gay or not. Uh, <laughs> New slash it's fine. Yeah, finally we've arrived at it's okay to be gay, yeah. according to the Lib Dem leader, which is I'm really glad we reached Logan. that cultural moment. After the Lib Tim Dems Farron, have finally said yeah. that it's okay to be gay. After Tim Farron had like six crisis meetings with his like special advisors and where they just told him, please just lie, just lie yeah. about whether yeah. you're This okay is my favourite thing about the whole Tim Farron thing is like, lie. dude, it's so obvious that you're lying. Like it's so obvious. Why, if that was genuinely what you thought, if you didn't think gay sex was a sin, why would you not have said that absolutely on the first yeah. time? It's not something you be ambiguous about if you thought it like I don't think gay sex and if you ask me that I wouldn't be like oh, well you know I'm not really going to discuss Ooh. that here I'd be like no I don't question. yeah exactly it's been mainly a negative stance in the sense that they've been saying there's no credible opposition um, they haven't really been making then the positive statement that we will therefore be that opposition but they are making because that state- would come across kind of ridiculous or? yeah it would imply a kind of electoral results which they know that they're not going to get um, but they are it's it's what's what's perceived to be the lack of opposition that's allowing them to, um, to to do this Lib Dems are like the guy that you flirt with at a party but you're never ever going to go home with him at the end of the night but you enjoy like flirting with him for the duration of the election cycle but <laughs> in the end you're just going to go home with some Labour guy the other thing about strong and stable is it's just obviously such a blatant lie right like I mean we had we had uh, Sam Chris uh, wrote an article for Vice pointing out that We've had like nothing but chaos since what? Since this basically since the Tory government, they gave us a Brexit that they didn't want and was all a big fuck up on their part. Yeah. And then since then, it, we're now going for some hard Brexit that we don't know what's going to happen. And the idea, yeah, the idea that they are strong and stable is well, yeah, it's just ludicrous. The argument that this is like the uh, kind of safe pair of hands is just this kamikaze like no deal is better than a bad deal approach whereas like Keir Starmer basically coming out and saying like alright we're going to try and get a Brexit that compromises on both sides and basically means that we're left with a kind of uh, you know viable trading future with the rest of our like European partners and that's the kind of like really radical don't go anywhere near that that's going to be yeah, danger I think people have this sudden sentiment towards strong authoritarian leaders, of which May is definitely one of those. Like, yeah. if you look at her record as Home Secretary, she basically, like, kamikaze her way into immigration quarters that didn't even make sense, that are basically unachievable. But yet people still respond to figures like that because they think sticking to your guns is somehow a good thing. Whereas if you want to show that you're a little bit open to compromise, you're open to the facts changing, you're immediately branded weak and chaotic. <laughs> an appearance of a, of a sort of Islingtonian herbivore, there are a lot of very dangerous policies. Let's talk policies. This week, Labour pledged to increase bank holiday banter by 80%, creating four new bank holidays, one for each of the UK's four patron saints. We asked Uber Butler to call up board workers and proletarians and find out if this one's a go. Good 
Weather. It's How's it going? I beg your pardon? How's it going? I'm a big fan. It's nice to be chatting yes, on the phone. thank you. Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm not bad, yeah. I'm just, um, I've just got a spare, I've got a day off, so I'm just ringing around people trying to get, basically I've been having a lot of arguments with friends about this, uh, the idea of four new bank holidays, and I just wondered whether you thought that was a good idea. Um, well, yeah, to be honest, I do. Yeah? You're on board? Yes. And what, what do you think you would do given the extra time off? Good afternoon, Foxton. Still speaking. How can I help? Hi. How's it going? Yeah, not bad. Yourself? Yeah, not bad. Yeah. What would it do, for, like, for you at Foxton? Um, to be honest, from a selfish perspective, it would be a good idea. But um, on the flip side, it would mean obviously less business days as well. So less days for transactions, really. Transactions, pie charts, transactions. Or just down. The downward tick instead of an upward tick. Who's calling? Sorry. Uh, my name's Uber. Why are you calling from there? Uh, a shed in South East London. Okay. Um, what would you do with more spare time? Do you think? This is Jude Newey. Who would you like to speak to? I'm just speaking to you, if that's okay. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Okay. You didn't really need any no. more feedback. No. Nothing. Nothing serious. Okay. Just a chat. Brilliant idea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> course. <laughs> you, yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. You're happy to get out of <laughs> get out of work. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and is yes. it is it the kind of thing that would like that'd make you get that that's caught your fancy, as it were? Yeah, it's brilliant. It'd be great. Yeah, I'd have no objection. But like, I mean, you know, when you go through like Facebook on your bank holiday, and like, you know, there's that, there's really annoying photos of like what Karen and her husband have had for lunch, and like, what what the route that Dave from work ran last night, and all that sort of stuff. Don't you think bank holidays are just going to flood our social media with like more annoying things? Oh, I've really thought of it. Not much steps I'm at all. I just, yeah, just I don't know. <laughs> so. Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go because my mother's reception desk is really busy. I'm really happy that you spoke to me. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. What a lovely woman. Good morning, Witherall. Hi, how's it going? Good, how can I help? Do you describe yourself as a patriotic person? Reasonably, yeah. Do you know the lyrics to our national anthem, uh, Candle, Candle in the Wind? Yeah, that's not our national anthem, but still. <laughs> do, you, do you know the lyrics to Candle in the Wind, though? Yeah, I do. Yeah, you're a patriot. Good morning, nice with Andrew speaking. How can I help? Hi there, how are you? Uh, yes, not too bad, thank you. I was just wondering what you personally think about the idea of having four extra bank holidays a year. Bad or bloody good? My name's Uber. I'm, I'm just ringing around just different companies in different parts of the country, so just seeing what, like, the general consensus is. So, with your repping tent? Yeah, I'm, I'm in a tent, sorry. Um, oh, OK. I work on bank holidays anyway, so... Wouldn't make it's a difference. irrelevant, really. Yeah. Is that, like, typical for people to be working on bank holidays? Uh, generally so, yeah. While you're working, everyone else is going to be... I don't know, drinking Prosecco, probably, and so on. Yeah, potentially. All right, 
I'm going to leave you to it. Just one last question. One last question. Would you rather go on holiday with Jeremy Corbyn or work with Theresa May? Because I think Theresa May sounds like the kind of person who would, who would say, can I pinch your pen? Whereas Jeremy Corbyn would probably be on like Cuba Libres by 9am, I reckon. Mm. Who would you rather... What would you rather go... What would you rather go for? And then I promise go, I will go, leave go you. Go on holiday. Go on holiday. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'll see you on the the, the, the beaches with, with Jezza. Uh, nice one, Eba. Um So, guys, why do we think Labour's come out with this policy? Transparent vote-grabbing initiative. I mean, <laughs> Slash it swayed me. It fucking rules. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think they announced it on Saturday, or I heard about it on Saturday, and I was, like, half-cut at a friend's house, and I was just like... Well, yeah, this is what I want my life to be more of. So, great. It's like only a few away from like free chocolate. Like it's kind of up there in that kind of realm of policy making. Yeah, but it is like actually genuinely good. Like, yeah, there's an economic reason, but it's also similar to free chocolate. Not even economic. Know. Like it's good to have more free time, and that's nice. Yeah, it feels like if he if his hands weren't tied in the back, he would just be saying four day week. And this is like yeah. a kind of quite a good comp- compromise, which is less sort of, it has that unionist sort of spirit because it's one for each day of every patron state of the country. So, you know, the country comes together and we'll have a holiday and we'll be thinking about Wales and vice vice versa or whatever. It sort of hints at some of those things they were talking about with the fourth industrial revolution, this idea of a world beyond work. Some of the more utopian thoughts they were able to have like a year ago before uh, they had to start drawing up a manifesto that would please everyone in their party. But do you think that, you know, the bank holidays idea plays into this Tory conception of Jeremy Corbyn being a little bit incompetent, a bit of a shirker, would rather be like down his allotment potting jam? And, you know, being the guy who suggests four bank holidays isn't really going to change people's idea of you, of you as an incompetent shirker, if that's the case? <laughs> I'd rather be on my fucking allotment than like in an office or whatever, like my whole life, you know? And I think sort of generationally and, you know, post-financial crash, everyone is working too hard for too little money and anything that nods towards a different situation is good. I mean, also, there's a question about whether this actually sort of applies to a lot of the most, like, shat upon workers right now, like people working in the gig gig economy or zero-hours contracts and so on, presumably who aren't going to see the benefit because their contracts don't really respect niceties like time off and having enough money to live on. Also, the kind of patriotic element of this, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, what do we think of that? The whole, you know, they they couldn't just say more time, free time is good. They had to say more free time is good because we can celebrate our national patron saints. Maybe that's just fine and good and nice, or is it maybe a little bit of a nod to slightly idealish sentiments? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely been done to slightly adjust that, or assist, like help adjust that image of Jeremy Corbyn as someone who doesn't care for the idea of the nation in any shape or form although at least you know that kind of old school Jeremy Corbyn thing that didn't where he didn't sing the national anthem it's definitely kind of I imagine done to counter that yeah I guess for me it's just an example of how the kind of shitness of our political discourse at the moment that you can't have something nice without wrapping it in a turd <laughs> like you know you can't you can't you can't have a silver lining you've really got to have the cloud you can't have a nice day off you have to also have a nice day off that is a little subtle nod to UKIP or whoever. I do also just 
think it's so emblematic of how tokenistic English patriotism is, though. Like, I do think it's things like that that really will kind of satiate some of that anger. I think it's an incredibly, like, it's all, like, petitions to get crowns put on pint glasses, like, certain people should be on £5 notes. Like, it's a very... It's a kind of patriotic culture that is based on these things of, like, bank holidays. Misspelt memes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I, do, I, I think... I, I personally think that... It's maybe a, a small concession that could actually do some good. Do you think it's fair enough for them to attack Jeremy Corbyn in this way? It seems like this is going to be the Brexit election. At least that's what the Conservatives want. Referendum round two, whether we like it or not, you've got to be in the Remain tribe or the Leave tribe. But Angus, you've been looking into another tribe that's popped up, right? Yeah, so the tribe normally known as the... Jolians, I'm going to say. So it's, it's the name Jolian, spelled J-O-L-Y-O-N. Yeah, Jolian? We, and we weren't sure if it was Jolian or Julian or... <laughs> Julian. Jo- I, Jolion? I think it's Julian, but said in such a posh way that it comes out garbled, like... <laughs> <laughs> right, Julian. falls down the marble staircase on the way out of the yeah, mouth, exactly. basically. Um, you vomit up a marble of marbles and then you come yeah. up with jolly on. Uh, this is a portion of the electorate, a sort of very affluent, middle-class, socially liberal voter. Um, typically, these are people who were involved in political life to some extent, but kind of in, like, policy-making, lobbying, maybe writing academic texts. Um, metropolitan centrist basically now what has obviously happened is the centre has like collapsed as we kind of see it is that there are these people who've just been in the background forming part of the establishment suddenly being brought out into public life almost in a kind of rebellious fuck the system kind of way where these posh people are suddenly having to come up with their own initiatives, their own campaigns, their own political movements in order to react against this complete swing towards either the far left or far right. Um, the reason this is known as the... Well, they're kind of referred to as the, are the they Jolians. No, no, no. This, no. Is, this is an observation made of quite a few people on Twitter. Uh, there's one particularly good article that I must name-check, which is um, was written by Alex Baker on the Anomie Geography blog. Um, I need to shout that out because this is like collects those thoughts so perfectly. They're kind of not, it's not self-identifying. The, the reason they're called the Jolians is because there happens to be two prominent uh, people in this group, both called Jolian. It was in the Tatler list of like the fashionable names of 2017. Right, along right. with Peter spelt with a silent N at the start. S- what, Sorry, Peter, Peter spelt with a silent N? Yeah, Peter. Where is the Where is the N? At the start, at people the start. are calling their kids and Peter Peter. spell N P E T R. I mean, I don't want to name shame, but name shame is shameful. That is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you name your child in Peter, you're kind of asking for, for him to get bullied. Yeah. Well, this is kind of what the Jolians are finding now. Right. <laughs> that, uh, exactly. In being yeah. called Jolian, they were asking for it apparently. Um, yeah. But they kind of they popped up again in my. Uh, uh, view this week because Jolian Morm, the former Ed Miliband advisor, had in the space for a couple of days and I almost want to say bless him because there's something weirdly sort of uh, endearing about this tried to start a political party and then rescinded his attempt uh, the party he wanted to start was called Spring, there's a kind of crazy plan he had to host a 28 day long uh, food and drink and music festival featuring comedians, bands uh, <laughs> right. an array of meze, I imagine uh, that would go on for 28 days but it would also be the launch pad for this um, political party and they were going to try and put a candidate up in Maidenhead in Theresa May's seat I kind of ha- I had a look through the plan for the party, it's all very very centrist basically, it's the idea this new party called Spring would stand for 
for um, you know social equality, but also you and know, hey, he doesn't like Spain. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but he uh, he has sadly now. He said on advice from his friends who advised him, this might be his a little bit Tarquin more. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tarquin and all the other Jolians got together and Peter. warned him. Peter. Yeah, they uh, got together and basically said, mate, this might be a little bit more than your current, uh, your 28-day music festival and political party. <laughs> might be a bit more of an undertaking than you're currently giving it credit. Also, he there was a link to the manifesto, I guess, of spring, um, the festival and the political party. I guess it's just a political party, but just double meaning of the word party. But anyway, there was a section at the bottom of the document where he outlined uh, the rollout plan, like the kind of uh, press campaign of how he was going to announce spring. And the best thing about it is that he refers to himself in the third person in the bullet points for this. So it's like step one, Jolien announces spring, the new political party and 28-day music festival. Step two, Jolien contacts Maidenhead Press and announces that they will be standing a candidate for spring in the constituency. <laughs> so I like the idea amazing. of him writing a press release about himself in the third person as well. Yeah, yeah, no, completely. And the whole thing just has this amazing tone of like a an affluent, comfortable man who's been driven mad really quickly, which has created this like mad thing where he started referring himself in the third person. He's like organizing this festival where he's going to try and get like Russell Howard and like Fleet Foxes to play in like a field somewhere in the middle of the countryside. Like, be there, I reckon. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's just a quite it's, it's it's a sort of like micro phenomenon, but I feel it speaks to this kind of crisis in a broader sense. It's really funny. It's a micro phenomenon, but I feel like it's a small manifestation of a larger phenomenon by the sounds of things tony blair is weirdly looking somehow insurgent and stuff you got the idea of the lib dems who were only recently in government trying to position themselves as like anti-establishment and kicking against the like consensus um i wonder if this is going to be sort of the campaign of the jolians i think so totally it's this amazing thing where the center is suddenly having to look radical because everything's swung so far the other way but basic physics kind of tells you that the centre can't look radical. That's by its very nature, it's a compromise. It's a you know, it's a blunting of radical ideas effectively and mel- melding them together. So it's, there's this just amazing contradiction of terms that occurs. I feel when you when you see these centre movements trying to look like they're the revolutionary forces. So do we think this strange phenomenon of like the radical centre is going to affect this election in any meaningful way? I mean, Gina Miller's just raised about £300,000 crowdfunding to distribute across the political spectrum to whoever, to whichever candidates say they'll vote for a soft Brexit. So that means that she could conceivably be giving money to Tory candidates, Lib Dem candidates, uh, Labour candidates, as long as they say they're committed to a soft Brexit. She's the one who... Um She was the lawyer who took the government to court over Brexit, right? Yeah, she took them to the Supreme Court over Brexit and got them to agree to a parliamentary vote on it, which was then... Yeah, which was then passed. Which was then passed, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But Uh, she's not given up. Yeah. And do you think that kind of thing is going to do anything? I mean, it just seems like... That's that's what the the tip Tony Blair's on as well, isn't it? Like, vote for whoever... um, as long as they're against Brexit. And it's kind of one yeah. of the main cleavages. You know, Corbyn's saying it's the people versus the powerful and the Tories are saying it's chaos versus order and actually one of the main cleavages is Brexit versus not Brexit. Yeah, or, fundamentally or it's or just hard. boiled down to Brexit versus not Brexit or hard Brexit versus soft Brexit. Mm. I wonder if that's going to like actually articulate itself 
in the election in results? I think whatever people are going to start debating about, it's always going to have the undertone of we're talking about Brexit. We might be talking about how chaotic Labour is, but we're talking about their handling of Brexit. Yeah, I don't think the, the, the jolly on centre will have much of an impact. I mean, the only reason we, we even know about them is because they're wealthy, up middle class and have connections to the media and so are able to you know, speak loudly about these issues. Um, they see, you know, polarization in society as just like purely irrational rather than a kind of rational response to like falling wages like over the past 10 years. They're, you know, ensconced from all that reality. And so they just see themselves as this sort of like last sort of last stand of, of reasonable common sense centrism without seeing that the ground for centrism is, is falling on, under everyone else's feet. I mean, the brief birth and short life and ultimate death of spring kind of speaks to <laughs> the probable like longevity of the Jollyon project. That's also a very bleak sort of poetic image. Yeah, that's It all goes nice, back to it? this endless winter. Um, it's also quite revealingly fascistic spring. Yeah. It's like... It's springtime for Hitler. Yeah. It's, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. There's yeah. something very like springtime new start. We all kind of... Yeah, uh, wipe the slate clean. Yeah. Um, Appeal yeah. to like Glastonbury and nature and like the sort of naturalistic yeah. imagery yeah, of like folkish, rejuvenation. Folkish, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. iconography. There you go, Jolyon's fash. <laughs> well, <Wow. laughs> <Here> first. <laughs> Thanks, Johan, Zing, and Angus. You're the most Jolyon we've had yet. The British Dream was produced by Sam Bonham at Rethink Audio. We'll see you again next week around midday every Friday until the election. Stay positive. We don't have to be so unequal. There doesn't have to be such poverty. There doesn't have to be such insanity.